0: Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a a new episode of the Civil War Regiments podcast. Um, I'm Stephen Lunsford, uh, your host, and uh, it's been a little while. It's been a few weeks. Um, I've been busy. I've been taking a break. It's been a little while since I got new content out there, and um, uh, it was actually for good reason. I was recently part of another incredible living history um, uh, for the anniversary of the Battle of Antietam. And um, it was on the real farm right in there on American Battlefield Trust property right across from the National uh, Battlefield Park for Antietam. And uh, the Liberty Rifles did another event portraying the 4th Texas. And uh, we got to do everything on the actual ground like they always do. And it was very similar to First Minnesota at Gettysburg. Great stuff. I'm always thrilled to be part of, of these events. And... Um, it was a big uh, publicized uh, event for the American Battlefield Trust. And there was a lot of organizations there, including Civil War Times, uh, was there um, filming and, and updating uh, as well as many others. And um, I came across uh, uh, Dana Shove, uh, editor of Civil War Times, was there and uh, he's filming. And a little background story uh, <laughs> for those of you listening to be interested in this Um so I've been huge on Civil War my my whole life. I can't remember when I didn't really care about the Civil War in, in some way or another. And as a 16-year-old, I had printed out my own little newsletter for friends called Civil War Shot and Shell. And um, I would mail it to all my buddies and friends. And I remember, and we're going to touch on this a lot more tonight, but I remember uh, I went to a reenactment at, a, it was the 140th Appomattox, and they had a little... Um, history. Uh, I mean, uh, America's Civil War had a little booth set up signing up for uh, subscriptions for America's Civil War magazine. And I was so happy and I, I signed up for a subscription and, uh, and I couldn't wait to get my first issue in the mail and, and all that. But I fed off of that excitement and, and my uh, knowledge of the Civil War. I kept uh, my own writing going and I decided I'm going to write a letter to the magazine. And <laughs> I had put these little facts together and I wrote a letter to the editor uh, to America's civil war. And sure enough, it got published in the uh, issue. I think it was a uh, July. I have it in front of me, July, 2007 <laughs> letter to the editor. And I remember as a kid walking into that books a million and, and finding out on the shelf and being so amazed by that. And the editor of the magazine, Dana Schoaf wrote a really kind response to my, my letter. And I remember uh, really, uh, appreciative of that and really, uh, it was an encouragement for me. And so anyway, long story short, fast forward 15 years. Um, Dana is there filming, documenting uh, this event at Antietam that I was part of. And I had to go say hey and and give the acknowledgement. And so uh, and uh, those of you who have probably seen online already. Uh, uh, me and Dana filmed a little video update telling the story. And it was really uh, that was really great. And uh, meeting Dana like that, I said, you know what, um, I'd love to have you on my show, uh, my podcast, and we can deep dive a lot more into all of this. And so my guest tonight, which I'm very thankful for, is Dana Shove, editor of the Civil War Times magazine and formerly America's Civil War magazine with HistoryNet. And so, Dana, uh, welcome tonight. I- I'm thrilled uh, at this opportunity, and-, and thank you for taking the time tonight.
1: Stephen, thank you. Thank you very much cuz i have to tell you you know uh when you came up to me at that living history i um and you and you you mentioned that story i i didn't remember the text you know what i mean i didn't remember what what was said but you did ring a dim bell in my brain i kind of remembered that whole thing <laughs> and uh it was just absolutely without question it was just thrilling to meet you because you know one of the goals I have hopefully is that these magazines go out and inspire people of any age to get interested in history and you know especially if you're younger you know to to keep at it and keep your interest because it's so fascinating and like you know who who knows like how how often i achieve that goal but to, to have you come up and say that to me honestly i just felt it was magical and so i was like we have to do a little video here about that so yeah it was great so thank you
0: oh well, well thank you again yeah you're welcome i, I mean I, I really appreciate it and that was fun for me it was a fun little surprise for me i was like oh my gosh i i need to go talk to him <laughs> and uh my whole family was there too which is funny they just uh missed you and i, I told them all oh. about afterwards. And they were like, what, what happened? (laughs) Uh, So so your
1: family's aware of that whole story. Wow. That's great.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's been a family affair for us. Um, We all, my whole family has a love for history. And uh, my dad is the one that kind of uh, got me intrigued to begin with just learning about my own ancestor. And it it was, uh, we've been, I mean, growing up, we went on family vacations to battlefields. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah,
1: yeah. That's what we did too. Yeah.
0: And, and I, I think and, and as we go in the story and I'll tell you, all the people I have interviewed, almost everybody has the same background story. Almost everybody. We all we all seem to have gotten involved in the same similar ways <laughs> and all that. So uh, to begin with, that's a good segue to uh, okay. this question for you. Uh, where did it begin for you? Where did you um uh, find your interest in in the civil war uh, history in general and, and all of that
1: well i i'm a quite a bit older than you <laughs> and i was born in 1962 so i'm just gonna flat out date myself i'm 60 years old and so i was born you know kind of i was born during the centennial but i of course was a baby yeah so i sort of grew up in what I call the afterglow of the centennial and there was still a lot of stuff related to the civil war route, you know? Hmm. And, um, my mom was a elementary school teacher and she loved history. She was passionate about it. And so some of my earliest memories of my mom were just, you know, reading me history stories at bedtime. And our house was not old, but my mom had it full of antiques and it just, you know, kind of, by osmosis kind of got in my head and um, I was in second grade and my mom and dad bought my cousin a copy of the American heritage history of the civil war are you familiar (laughs) with that oh oh, yeah oh yeah Yeah. so they bought that for my cousin and um, you know I just I wouldn't, they put it in like the gift pile. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I couldn't leave it alone. And so I would get it and I'd read it. And there were those maps with the little figures in there by David Greenspan. And they just blew my mind. And it was full of illustrations, just really great stuff. And I just could not put that thing out of my hands. So, um, my mom finally said, I'm, you're you're messing the book up. You're using it too much. <laughs> and she took it away and hit it. And I was devastated. You know, it's like, oh, my God. And then Christmas morning, I, <laughs> I caught up to find that they actually had bought a second copy. And they gave the new copy to my cousin. <laughs> and they wrapped up the one that I had been using and they gave it to me. <laughs> and I just that was it and then it was like um you know I became aware you know I was probably aware at the time that Gettysburg had occurred in Pennsylvania because mm-hmm. I was growing up north of Pittsburgh oh well wow. and, and so um you know I'd look at a map and I'm like it's not that far away so I believe <laughs> that we, um, it took a while though you know and I think our first trip to Gettysburg occurred if I recall like 1973 I think nice yeah you know and so that's i don't know if i was like seven years old that's 1969 so four years later basically you know we went to gettysburg for the first time after i got that book Mm -hmm. and then that was just that was the end oh yeah (laughs) you know i just went to gettysburg (laughs) looked out and and my and badgered my folks and they basically spent my dad, at least, spent more summer vacations than he wanted hauling me to Gettysburg again or Civil War <laughs> battlefields like Chancellorsville and Fredericksburg. I remember we went to um, Petersburg. So um, it was that was what we did, you know? <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. That was all through high school. Yeah, that was that was high school. So, um, and I remember, you know, at the time, the NPS had a really great living history program at um, both Chancellorsville and Petersburg. And you may have heard of some of these things, at least. They had a Confederate living history at Chancellorsville, which was amazing. Wow. And I think Federals, too, but at Petersburg, they had mounted Confederate artillery. Oh, well. Wow. They came out with six horses. And can you imagine that now in the NPS? Yeah. <laughs> they, they drove six horses out in the field and they, they unlivered a Napoleon and fired it, you know. And I remember all those things. It was like and then, you know, kind of foreshortening things. It took me a while because I ended up there was a reenactment unit around where I grew up that did French and Indian War. Mm. And I liked that era too. So I reenacted that through high school. Undergraduate, I didn't do it. a uh, couple years after undergraduate, I didn't do it, but eventually I started Civil War reenacting in 1990. Oh, well, wow. Ish. Yeah. And I got into it and, you know, I never lost the love of it. And um, so, you know, for a long time in the 90s, I did tons of stuff. So, yeah. And I still obviously love to go see amazing living histories like
0: the one you participated in. That was really something um so i didn't know i didn't know you yourself were a living historian as well yeah
1: i i was i don't know um if you have ever heard of the southern guard
0: i i've heard of the name
1: yeah so um we were for our era very authentic and um did a lot of events like that living history the fourth texas you know for the nps that sort of thing we did battle reenactments, We kind of drifted away from those. And of course, you know, civil war living history is so weird. And, um, <laughs> the internet wasn't as big then. And so it wasn't as bad as it is now. Um, yeah. but like we took a lot of flack from other organizations like the Liberty Rifles takes today. Um, wow. uh, for being elitist and stuff. And I don't <laughs> even, want to, you know, we don't have to get into that. It's just, there is a similarity there. Oh yeah. And, um, But, yeah, for – I still have a house full of stuff here, Stephen. And, I mean, I've got – I still work by stuff, and I don't really do it anymore. I still buy blankets and ground cloths and and forge caps. Um, I don't say I quit. I just haven't done it in a while, you know? Sure, Um, sure. But, yeah, I mean, I um, I think the last thing I did was 2018 or something. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I – I loved it. And the thing is for my field, you know, what I do, I consider myself as a historian first Mm -hmm. and, you know, a journalist second. And that's the way I've always looked at it. And, you know, living history is, it's an incredible teaching tool. You can't, you know, you can't read a soldier's diaries or letters the same way again after you go out and and do this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Like, exactly. I, I never ever, you know, I never ever thought like, well, I'm actually recreating combat. That's hope. you know, I'm not getting shot at. Right. Yeah. And I always had that crutch of, in my mind, you know, two or three days from now, this is going to end. I'll be in a fast food restaurant. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't have like the, 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 the original cast, if you will, you know, they're yeah, like, like, I'm in this thing for three years, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I know how bad it stinks to march in the rain all day. I know yeah. how bad it, how weird it is to wake up in the morning and your canteens frozen solid. Cause that's happened to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, you know, I just, all those inconveniences and unpleasantries when you read stuff in a diary and a guy says, you know, we marched, you know, six miles today in a pouring rain. I'm like, Oh my God, that's the worst. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah you understand it and feel it better than those that have not done that, you know? And I know like a lot of veterans that served in the actual military, they've had that experience, but you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of historians that that have it, you know? Mm-hmm. And if, if I ruled the world, I'd say, okay, everybody that wants to write civil war history has to reenact for six months. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'd have to, you have to, go, you know, bop, a, you know, you know, struggle to keep a line straight going across the field and, you you got to march down a road at the tail end of a column and a dust is in the air choking you. And, you know, that kind of thing, because it gives you a deeper appreciation of the conflict and what the, what these guys went through.
0: And, you know, touching on that. Um, and this is one thing I, I appreciate about the Liberty rifles is the, the amount of drill they, they spend in and really learning these maneuvers. Cause I'll be honest, even as a young aspiring historian, you know, I, I'm, it's almost like when I was reading a battle narrative or, or something like, it's almost like I'm just trying to skip to the part where they start shooting, you know? And right. like, like you're reading, you're reading past the maneuver part. Like, like, what are they talking about? Oblique? What? Huh? Right. And uh, as a kid, when I first read it, but then now like change front forward. Right. <laughs> like now all of a sudden when I come across that, when I'm reading, I'm like, I, I know what they're doing now. I understand. Oh, wow. That's what this regiment was doing.
1: Yeah, that's exactly.
0: It's 100%. It's it's really something. Oh yeah. It
1: really is something and then you know you read about some of these regiments doing this stuff under fire and you're like I, I don't I don't know how they did that because it's hard enough for me as a weekend
0: warrior to do it in a flat field, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I'm sure I think they did it a lot damn faster than a weekend.
1: <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> absolutely, that's
0: absolutely true. Yeah. Oh man, but uh, but it is incredible. I really, um, uh, being part of, um, I feel very fortunate that I got to be part of First Minnesota in, in June or July and Fourth Texas and Antietam. And to do that on the actual ground on both yeah. cases, like if exactly. anything, it just gives you a five minute glimpse of what it may have looked like to see a battle line going across that field. Yeah, absolutely. And without,
1: absolutely, yeah,
0: without. It's, amazing stuff it
1: is yeah. it's a great learning experience and it's a it's a great sort of memory bank thing that you'll have for your entire life when you work on these you know in civil war history
0: oh yeah and um and i'll tell you going back to gettysburg i'm, I'm a gettysburg kid uh, myself too but um just a few years ago uh, we did the event uh the 15th alabama a little round top and for me, like as soon as I heard the words uttered that they were doing that event, I'm like, I have got to be there. Yeah. Little round top for me. I mean, that's how a lot of us got sucked into it. It's a little round top. And oh, yeah. I'm like, it, it's that when I was there doing it, like it doesn't, it doesn't always hit me in the moment. It kind of hits me afterwards sometimes, but like, like in, in the moment, sometimes you're hot and you're sweaty and you're, and you're tired. Like, you know, but then afterwards you like, did we just charge up little round top did we no, just-
1: I, it's it's i i've had experiences exactly i know what you mean and it's just yeah you know, it's something to treasure because yeah you, you know you get to do stuff that very few people have the opportunity to do so it's really really special
0: oh yeah for sure so awesome awesome so um my next question for you to kind of move uh, towards. Uh, so how did you get into the journalism field then? And how did you uh, finally uh, first get involved with uh, America's Civil War magazine?
1: Well, my I um, I was in graduate school in Ohio and I was in a Ph.D. program, which I never finished because it wasn't really for me, you know. Mm. And so um, at least at that time. And so we moved out to frederick maryland in august in 1996 because mm-hmm. my wife heidi got a job at the daughters of the american revolution and um she was a curator there at their at, at um they have various departments there and she was a curator in their genealogy department and just to give her a quick little you know plug she um she worked there for a while and then left and now she is she came back and she is the director of the DAR museum. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she's, she's down in, uh, she goes down to DC. Nice. most of The time she gets to work at home, uh, some now, but we came out here, uh, and I'm really proud of what she's accomplished too, which is pretty amazing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so she, she came out here and we came out here. And so I was working at a, a bookstore and then I, had, I was in the movie Gettysburg. Oh, awesome. And, um, there's a scene in Gettysburg. If you if you hit pause, I'm the only face on screen. I'm so uh, proud of that. Well, I actually I'm saying this a bit self mockingly, right? So there's it's before Pickett's Charge. Okay. They, they scroll across these Confederate guy, and uh, it's um oh gosh Patrick he's dead. He died. The actor oh, played, oh
0: uh, the guy that played Armistead yes. And Jordan. he's
1: talking and he's like, These men are Virginians, you know. Yeah. And they do this slow pan across this group of Confederates. And I'm in there with a dark beard, and you can't tell what it is, but I pop a piece of apple in my mouth. It's right before Pickett's charge. Oh nice. And um, so um when I was out there, first of all, I want to clarify something. I get a lot of grief about that apple because people are like, July, the apples aren't ripe yet. I'm like <laughs> <laughs> I looted a root cellar. You know they kept apples in root cellars in Pennsylvania. <laughs> they kept them like they they kept them for they could keep them for years. They knew how to dry them, which is true. So that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That's right. And um so um you know uh so I um met Brian Pahanka at the time. Oh nice. Yeah. And then um you know I'm going to fast forward this because it's you know and I could go into crazier stories. Do you know who uh, Rob Hodge is, right?
0: Uh, I'm aware of him. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Confederates in the attic cover guy. Right. So That's right. That's I met right. Rob at the filming there as well. And we, um, we hung out for a while. And um, so uh, anyway, I met Brian and I met Rob and then the movie ended and I went back home. And I got married. We moved out here and then, Rob got in touch with me and he said, Hey, we're working on this series for time life. And Brian Pahanka said, maybe you'd be interested in working on it. And it was called voices of the civil war, which is not as famous as the gray series that, you know, they talk about.
0: Well, it's famous in my book. That is my absolute favorite series. (laughs)
1: Voices of the civil war.
0: Yes. Yeah. It's amazing. I love it. It's amazing.
1: And so, I ended up working on that as a freelancer, writing and doing photo research. Wow. And if you look in some of the, I can't remember. I started with the first Manassas. It didn't go chronolog- chronologically, but I'm, um, I, um, I'm, I'm sitting next
0: to my full collection of them right now, actually. <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm, my name's in there somewhere in the contributors page, you know, but um, so that got me started. And then from there, I freelanced a little bit more for some other projects, but then a fellow uh, reenacting friend of mine uh, was actually, it was a living history at Antietam at right. the Thunder church. And he said, Hey, we're, you know, he worked for this company. He so said, we're hiring an editor. And I applied and I got the job working as an editor on America's civil war magazine. And that was like around 1999. Mm. And then from there, you know, I just kind of moved up to the editor of that magazine and then over to Civil War Times, maybe 12, 15 years ago, and then more, closer to 15. And then I was the editor of both for a while, and I'm like, I can't do this. So I just <laughs> ended up on
0: Civil War Times, where I am still, yeah. Gotcha. Well, uh, and, uh, and how long have both of those magazines really uh, been running?
1: You know, I don't know for sure. The American Civil War started out in the 80s. Yes. So it's been around a while. Civil War times depends on how you look at it. Um, I often say 1962, the year I was born, because Mm -hmm. that's when it became the magazine format that we like and that we know. Okay. It was published like a little newspaper before that, I think starting in 1958. (laughs) And that's why it has Civil War times. It's like a little newspaper format you know as they knew the centennial was coming and they were ramping up for it and then you know it blossomed into this it the magazine version in 62
0: nice yeah yeah it's still around 60 years later if you you know use later yes. yeah wow and um so the way i got started into it was uh i heard about america civil war first and, and that's the first one i i came across and i kind of hinted at it uh earlier but uh I went to the 140th Appomattox reenactment and um, it may have been a, a tent for history net or, um, but it was a, it was a tent that whole, that whole table full of nothing but back issues. of America's uh, Civil
1: Yeah. War. I remember that.
0: And uh, I was so giddy. Uh, like there was some kind of special deal where if you, you get a two year subscription, you can pick six back issues or something. And yeah, I, just like picking all the issues i wanted and signed up for my dad signed me up and
1: that's fantastic isn't yeah. it great you know your parents supported your interest
0: oh yeah oh for sure yeah i mean that's that's part of the reason I'm got involved and still involved in, and uh they've always been supportive of all that
1: no it's crazy but and i mean you know my parents were excited when I was getting into reenacting they thought it was cool <laughs> and I'm just like you know a lot of people wouldn't be like that you know and I've heard yeah. that people that you know um but you know i think my parents recognized reenacting was a portion of my deep love of history and they're like yeah you know know, go for it you know
0: so it really was and i remember uh my my parents kind of made made the impression that like look we want you to get involved in that but we'd prefer for you to to earn your money to get into it you know (laughs) so right i remember I i got my first job and I started saving money uh, to buy the whole kit, and uh, I and it felt great doing it that way. Anyway, and uh, oh yeah, involved, and and that's the other thing too. You don't just get involved or reenacting; you kind of have to know somebody. And so it took a while. It took a while for me to, to finally meet people and get involved. And, and it takes all that, a while. You
1: know? It does. Yeah, it absolutely. So, you no, know, I some of my best friends on the planet are are guys I met reenacting. Oh yeah. You know, and I, we don't, like I said, we don't really participate much anymore, but I've, I have a friend in Ohio and a friend who's moved to near Chicago Mm, and a friend that lives in Illinois because I was in Ohio when I got reenacting. So I knew guys in the Midwest. Yeah. And they're just like, you know, we hang out all the time. We, we, now we go to battlefields and explore, you know? Oh, that's fun too. Oh God. Um, it's It's never ending. It's the oh, best. Battle. Yeah, battlefields is the best. Do you know, I, I found out. I was doing some reading about the real farm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to jump into something here. I'm reading, I have like my new favorite book. And there's, uh, um, have you heard of this book, When Hell Came to Sharpsburg?
0: Uh, no, no. Is that a new one?
1: Brand new. When Hell Came to Sharpsburg, it's the Battle of Antietam and its impact on the civilians who called it home by Stephen Cowie. Nice. And it's, it's Savas Beatty Publishing. And here's the thing, which is, you know, I overlooked. And I live, I'm, a half hour is conservative. It's probably less than that. But I'm going to say a half hour east of the Antietam battlefield. I live oh, at the nice. Mountain, okay? Yeah. And I can hop over that mountain and be at Antietam probably in 20 minutes. But the Army of the Potomac camped around Antietam for six weeks after the battle okay yeah they didn't do that at gettysburg you know it's different Mm -hmm. and so by camping around sharpsburg for six weeks they just magnified the problems that the that tiny 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 village faced okay uh for give you an example the washing i'm gonna this is from memory i may be screwing it up but i'm close enough that it still makes the impact Washington, D.C. had a population of 60,000 in 1861. Mm. If you count the Army of the Potomac for six weeks after the Battle of Antietam, Sharpsburg had a population of 70,000 people. (laughs) And those are guys that are consuming fence rails for fires. They're foraging from farms. There was supply problems getting McClellan's guys supplied. They're they're spreading disease among these people. And this book... It's not just about civilian stuff. He talks about McClellan's supply crisis. He talks about hospitals, and the the ordeal that these people and soldiers in the Army of the Potomac went through. I don't think I think this is really new stuff. You know what I mean? I mean, and we're, we're going to have something in a magazine in the spring issue about it because it's crazy. Wow. And the real farm, uh, I believe it was the first corps. I think I'm going to say camp there after the battle. Mm. So, you know, we know about the Confederate movements on there, but at, for six weeks after the battle, you know, the First Corps plops itself down on that farm and camps there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is like, you know, I wish I'd have known that when we when I was out there for that living history, because it just sort of adds to the. Yeah. The mental ambiance that that whole place, you know?
0: Sure. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting. You you say this because uh, I'll be honest; like, I haven't heard of this, but like, I feel like a lot of narratives or histories, like right after the Battle of Antietam is concluded, you know, usually people cover the Emancipation Proclamation, and then all of a sudden, boom, Fredericksburg. Right. And, well, and there's well, a big there's yeah. a big hazy window right there where you don't talk about October and November 1862 uh, for yeah. both those. Arms. Much. it kind of it always seems to like skip forward
1: <laughs> exactly and there's uh, because I live out here and because I did some stuff Rob Hodge organized actually living history wise McClellan does eventually move into Virginia at Lovettsville if you know where that is which is not far from where I live a- across the Potomac River okay. they go back into Virginia and there's all sorts of skirmishing as they move down kind of tracking east of the Blue Ridge you know Mm-hmm. Um and um oh I'm gonna jump ahead here, but I hope you don't mind. Okay. Oh, you're fine. <laughs> because one of my, you were asking me about my kind of books I like, and I got a stack of books I don't and one of my favorite memoirs is Bridge Building in time Warnti- and Wartime. Colonel Wesley Brainerd's memoir of the 50th New York Engineers. Okay. Oh wow. And I love it. Uh, it's uh, what is it? University it's the Voices of the Civil War series. I think it's the University of Tennessee Press. Yeah. So, this guy, Brainerd, wrote a memoir. It, it, you know, at the 50th New York, where the engineers that built the pontoon bridges, right? Mm-hmm. So, that's fascinating because he talks all about this crazy stuff that pon- the pontooniers did and everything. And he's just a great writer and he, he comments on uh, con- generals and stuff. But about let's see, 10 miles south of me is Brunswick, Maryland, which was called Berlin during the Civil War.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: And so, that's where a large portion of McClellan's army crossed back into Virginia when they got rolling back in there in November, 62. Mm -hmm. And the 50th New York builds these pontoon bridges there. And so, they build these bridges. This is crazy, I think, right? (laughs) And The Army of the Potomac, whatever elements cross there, I can't remember, but they cross, go into Virginia, march to the south, and they leave these engineers at this bridgehead, you know, on both sides of the river. And these guys are forgotten. No kidding. (laughs) And Brainerd writes about days turning to weeks, and we just didn't know even what was going on. (laughs) You know, where's the Army? What happened? Why? You know, we're kind of forgotten. (laughs) And um, so he said, we couldn't really leave the bridgehead because there's guerrillas all over the place, right? Yeah. So you know, to, to stray out of the armed bridgehead was inviting, you know, getting captured. And then one day a staff officer rides up. He's like, oh, Christ, you know, here you guys are. We're, we, we we were trying to remember where we, you know you we were left I'm kind of simplifying but this is how it plays out yeah. said, get the pontoons rolled up get them out of the river we need them because we're about to try to get into Fredericksburg oh my gosh you know you and you hear about birdside and the pontoons you know what I mean yeah so yeah, that's like, big story. oh my god here's okay get these pontoons we need them in DC and then head south as fast as you can and these guys were forgotten. Wow. These, these bridge builders are left there, and he writes about stuff like that. Um, and then, I don't know, I got on this you know October-November 62 tangent, but you're right, that's an understudied time period of the war. And Stephen Sottlemyre has done some stuff about McClellan. He wrote he published a book, I can't remember exactly the title of it, but Sottlemyre is the author, and he mentions McClellan's supply crisis too, Now, the Army of the Potomac, after Attita, was really in bad shape, and when McClellan's like, I I need food, I need uniforms, he's not just whining, right? He's like, I can't really move right now, my guys are kind of destitute, you know? And um, interesting stuff that kind of can help lead to a different portrayal of McClellan, you know, I think. But anyway, I'm on a big tangent with this stuff, so...
0: Well, that's around the same time McClellan was, uh, was fired. Yeah.
1: He, he gets, yeah. he gets canned in November
0: and yeah. Verne
1: put back in, uh, in command, uh, put in command, I should say, not back, but put in command. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, to me, it always, it always tells you something that the men seem to love McClellan, you know, uh, McClellan gets a lot of criticisms, but like when you hear the accounts of all the rumors you had rumors before Gettysburg even that McClellan was back in command and the soldiers are always hip, hip, hooray because McClellan's back. And so, I mean, he definitely had a lot of respect for the men in the ranks, it seemed.
1: Yeah, and I think, well, you know, I've always thought about that because I had ancestors in the 134th PA. And I know this is called Civil War Regiment, so I'm always partial, of course, to that regiment because my ancestors were in it, my great-grandfather oh. and my great-uncle. And the story in my family when I was a kid and I would talk to the elders, if you will, that knew my great-grandfather, who was named George Washington, which I just think is awesome, (laughs) um, 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 was that McClellan was his favorite general, okay? Okay. Now, he was a nine-month soldier, which is another whole discussion about these nine-month regiments out of PA and somewhere from New York. The worst idea ever, because it's not... Long enough to really make an effective soldier, right? Mm -hmm. But he was in this, they were in a nine-month regiment. My great uncle is killed at mortally wounded at Fredericksburg. Oh wow. My great-grandfather survives, thank goodness. So I'm I'm here. Um, but the story I always heard was that he always thought McClellan was the best general. Well, he served under McClellan, Burnside, and Hooker. Okay. So out of those three, you know, <laughs> which one um, are you going to pick? And also think about it, uh, uh, Stephen, in nine months, he had three bosses, basically, right? That's that's a pretty fast turnaround, you
0: know? Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and, you know, you get a sense when you put it in, you know, like, geez, in nine months, they turned over three commanders of that army. That's not great, you know? No. Um, but, you know if you look at it too, I think sort of um, cynically, McClellan did not push his men. You know, well, first of all, like Burnside has the mud march, which is miserable, right? Yes. And he's got Fredericksburg in the defeat, And then we know about Hooker and Chancellorsville, And then Grant comes along and Meade comes along as the army of the Potomac commander. But then, you know, you know, if you served through the whole war, you get put in the Overland campaign, which is a meat grinder. You know what I mean? Yes. So you yeah. can see why some guys that even served longer than nine months would look back and say, McClellan was great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he moved them slower than some commanders, even though I don't think he had the slows like some people think. You know what I mean? It was a different kind of war. Yeah. And um, he did seem to be sort of uh, patriarchal with his guys. You know what I mean? Yeah. And... You can see why, you know, soldiers would like my, my great grandfather or others that served even longer would look back and say, McClellan was a great commander. And then, you know, as armchair generals were like, No, he wasn't. He didn't do you know, he's he had <laughs> clothes and all this other stuff, you know. So
0: Yeah. It's interesting that the different perspectives. It really is. And and you know, uh you mentioned a minute ago about uh Burnside's Mud March. You know, the funny thing is I've always heard i've always been aware of burnside's mud march you know because like i've seen there's paintings of it and sketches of it probably in some of the timeline volumes and i was always aware of that but like again like i hadn't heard a reference to the destitution of uh mcclellan and the army of the potomac after Antietam. and it's like you they seem to focus a lot on burnside's failures and hookers failures and you do hear about their failures more uh than anything and maybe because they were <laughs> way more worse than than anything else that happened
1: right and i think and then you know i don't want to beat this mcclellan thing to death on your podcast but, (laughs) but here's an interesting thing to consider and i know your 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 listeners are into this stuff okay yeah mcclellan's army where is it coming from it's coming from the peninsula in on boats they're getting off the boats in the dc area and then they're being told they've got to march out to protect D.C. and bring down Lee as he moves into Maryland. These mm-hmm. guys are coming right off the peninsula and stuff is a mess. And some of them don't get their knapsacks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so they're marching off without all the stuff they're supposed to have that's stored in their knapsacks. And some of them come from the Army of Virginia, which is beat up at 2nd Manassas. Yeah. The Iron Brigade, for example was in the army of virginia before it joined the army of the potomac yeah so these these forces are combined and you know uh you know you have a situation for a while where artillery regiments or excuse me cavalry regiments don't know where their horses are and all kind of stuff you know mm-hmm. and, and so um here's a fun fact did you know uh, uh, really literally until the day of the battle lee had more cavalry than mcclellan did oh really yeah, that's uh, what I've been told by some really knowledgeable Antietam folks be- because McClellan's guys are still trying to get themselves straightened out and get their horses together. Mm-hmm. So, And, of course, cavalry is your intelligence-gathering arm, right? Yeah. So that's going to hamper McClellan. But you can see how these guys move out from D.C. immediately and don't have all their stuff with them. So after weeks and days of trying to track down Lee and then fighting a major battle, they're pretty beat up and in sad shape, you know? Yeah. and um and then compound it when there's ample evidence they're not getting their rations and if you can't eat you know what say: an army fights on its stomach or something like that you know
0: so yeah. yeah you know um uh touching another uh point of the you know all these details uh these details we're talking about you know rations logistics uh, supplies and uh, engineering and building pontoons like uh, these are details that you don't get involved in until you you start deep diving in civil war history really because like uh these are details i'm fascinated by now but like ages ago when i first got involved like i just want to hear about the battles and, it, and well the, yeah and, and it is kind of like now, now with those little side things that like, like, uh, like I know trending lately is like all the retreat from Gettysburg stuff is, is trending. And, and, uh and now oh, you're, uh, the Antietam campaign, you're, you know, just lesser known logistical things that uh are getting more attention. Now it seems.
1: Read another great book that I'm, you know, I got this book pile. I read a little and then I read something else, right. Is Meet at Gettysburg by Kent Masterson Graham. Yeah, yeah. That thing rocks. If you don't read anything else in that book, folks, get that book and read the chapter on Herman Hopped trying yeah. to repair railroad lines from Baltimore um, and telegraph lines from Baltimore to um, Gettysburg. Mm-hmm. It yeah. will give you an entirely different perspective on the Gettysburg campaign because Meade has no communications and he can't get freaking supplies.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Because because Stewart cut the railroad, <laughs> it, and he, I mean, he damaged it badly, and that's going to play into Meade's pursuit because he's still short on supplies when the battle's over.
0: Yeah, and didn't he did he place an order? I remember hearing it may have been in the book too, where like uh, he ordered like fifty thousand pairs of shoes.
1: Fifty thousand pairs of shoes. Yeah, there's about a hundred thousand guys in the army, mm-hmm. so. You could just, you know, so what, 50% of the guys have bad or poor shoes?
0: Yeah. You know, I mean. See, that's a narrative that people, like, everyone always talks about Confederates not wearing shoes, right? Or barefoot Confederates. But, like, no right. one ever dreams or imagines barefoot Federals, right? And and I feel like um I was just coming across a bunch of accounts a couple of days ago from, like, the Sixth Corps. Like, guys march until, like, their shoes are just red bear and, and no shoes at all and and that's that's one thing that I get attention on a lot about it's the 6th Corps in the gettysburg campaign where those guys are march like 35 miles in one day just to reach the battlefield and those guys are exhausted you know like sure the union has a manpower but these union soldiers at gettysburg are exhausted uh, i mean they've been marching 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 hustling catch up to gettysburg and and then they're supposed to be the pursuing army on the retreat like these guys have reached their limit. Even the cavalry has reached limits in this campaign.
1: Yeah, and I actually did, I edited a diary of a guy in the 93rd PA of the Sixth Corps, John Nevin. Oh, wow. Which is one of my other favorite, um, you know, I I like their story because they're in um, Wheaton's Brigade, which is the lead brigade of the Sixth Corps, and they're the only Sixth Corps Brigade engaged at Gettysburg. Yes, correct. They're engaged on so July 2 at the very end of the day on a northern shoulder of Little Round Top. Their monuments are all down on the George Weikert Farm and there's some up on the hill on that northern shoulder, okay? Mm-hmm. And those guys, kind of okay, tell story,
0: you, which I you think guess. is cool when people yeah. forget.
1: So oh, please, I've been fascinated uh, for a number of years because I did this diary. If you go to Gettysburg, Of course, and for good reason, people gravitate to the 20th Maine and Vincent's Brigade. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. But if you come down that hill heading north, and you hook down on the mountain, you'll see a monument with two artillery pieces where that's, that's Gibbs Battery, Gibbs Ohio Battery. Yeah. Gibbs Battery, basically, is the only Union force that's active from that point almost up past to the John Wykert farm or the, um, the father Corby statue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That is open with no union infantry. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, I'm going to get myself. It's Bernie's division of Sickles third corps. That's in that area. And of course they're moved forward. Yes. When those guys goes forward, there's no union infantry. There's a gap in the union infantry line between the summit of little round top all the way up close to the Father Corby monument. Nobody's there. Yeah. And Gibbs guys are there banging away. And there's 1500 Confederates after the wheat field is cleared of union. Mm -hmm. And they're coming out of the wheat field and then Wolford's brigades coming down the wheat field road and they got about another 1500 guys. Yeah. 3000 Confederate infantrymen. And they're heading toward that gap. Oh, wow. At the end of the day on July two. Now, are they enough to upset the tide of battle? I'm not going to go that far, but there's a yeah. big gap there, and it's open. There's no infantry there, and Gibbs is like banging away, and he's got two Napoleons on Little Round Top, and he's got two over across the Wheatfield Road. He doesn't have any infantry support. That's the only yeah. thing shooting at those Confederates until the Pennsylvania Reserve, uh, one of the brigades of the Pennsylvania Reserve Division kind of fills in behind Gibbs and then Wheaton's brigade of the sixth Corps kind of comes in on the Wheatfield road North and they charge this mass of Confederates at like seven 30 at night. Yeah. And it's, you know, uh, Bernie's guys move out around 11 in the morning and it's not until seven 30 at night that they restore federal infantry in that gap on the little round top. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's six core guys that get there in the nick of time, you know, and, to do that, and then if you, you know, there's six core monuments all over Gettysburg because when that corps got on the field, they're patching them in on Culps Hill, they're patching them in on Little Roundtop. You see some more, you know what I mean? And people yeah. say, "Why didn't he counterattack with the six corps?" Because they're all over the place. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a six corps brigade way down the Tawny town Road facing
0: to the what is it, east? You know? Yeah. Yeah, protecting the flanks there. Protecting
1: the flanks—they're everywhere. Sedgwick's like it would take me forever to gather my guys. They're all over the place. Yeah. You know? So, and you know, you know, you read stuff like that, and it's because I was like you—I would, you know, battle narrative, I, and I still love that stuff. But now, I'm like, oh my god, you know, I would probably never pick up like if I was, you know, thirty year old me it would be like oh, civilians at Sharpsburg. Who cares? But now <laughs> I'm like. Yeah wow, this is incredible. You know what I mean? Yes, yes. You know, I know the story of the battle and the aftermath. This is like, you know, it's like war is hell. It really tears the country apart. And, you know, it's like, you know, Walt Whitman said, the real war will never get in the books. And I think some of these authors are starting to help us understand the real war beyond the battlefields.
0: You know what I mean? Exactly. 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 And you have to you have to read about that to really understand uh, more and more because it's it's something it's incredible.
1: Yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm bloviating a
0: lot. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine, man. I, I'm loving this. Uh, this okay. is great. Um, uh, I will say um, um, I think uh, listeners might get a little kick out of this and, and you might as well. Um, I was going to go back and mention some of these letters that I wrote to America's Civil War and uh see if they ring any bells for you too
1: <laughs> okay awesome please do
0: oh yeah so so that first one that i had i had mentioned uh, at the beginning of the show um this was july 2007 and the month before that uh may 2007 issue the cover image was uh edwin jemison oh yeah sure. uh image which you know a lot of people um um, it's that image of that uh, young, young uh, clean-shaven little boy soldier in the Confederacy who, uh, I believe he was killed in the seven days or, or something like that. Uh,
1: supposedly, days. and, you know, I think that image is one that's just going to always kind of be.
0: Oh, yeah. It's a striking you know, image.
1: It's striking. And I, I don't know if we're, boy, I'm getting a little dim on my stuff here. I don't know if we're ever going to fully know the story, but it's believed he was killed by a cannon shot at Malvern Hill
0: okay malvern hill then yeah in the face which yeah so i remember
1: campaign you got it seven days you know no big deal
0: yeah (laughs) crazy man and uh you know um um so you had done that article or, or that cover for him in in may uh like that and so uh uh i can't remember you you know uh um, there may have been something at the end of the article, like, is there any image that, that you're aware of that kind of impacted you? And um, I remember reading that article and, and I thought, well, I always thought of the picture of uh, Wesley Culp at Gettysburg and and that image. And so that's the letter that I wrote into uh, the magazine. And I, I put a little write up together about the story of Wesley Culp and how he was connected to the Jenny Wade story. And yeah. Uh, of course, uh, Johnson Skelly's story, and I put all those little factoids together, and uh, and then that's where uh, you had responded, nice work piecing together those various facts, even with your historian's instincts and interest in publishing, you may end up a Civil War magazine editor, you have our sympathies, just no, kidding, <laughs> we'd love to see a copy of the magazine that you make for your friends. How about sending the copy to the the, the address of the magazine? <laughs> oh so, uh, yeah, but I, I remember uh, coming across that, and I was so giddy uh, uh, when I saw that, and uh, yeah, it made me want to keep uh, keep pursuing history for sure.
1: <laughs> well, I just that's fan, you know, it's like so great that you.
0: First of all, what was the name of your newsletter? It was like uh, Civil War Shot and Shell. So great. That, so, Which I need to use that title again. I need to recycle that for something. That is
1: so. That is so great. That is such a great title. I, I absolutely love it. And uh, um, um, you, you know, it was you know kind of backtracking here to like see you at, at this living history i was like yes this dude's still in it man that's awesome yeah
0: oh yeah yeah so long ago man and uh i'm still and so uh i have a i have a humorous one uh to share for you because uh i remember about a year later i decided i'm gonna try again i'm gonna try to get another letter in america's civil war okay all right and so this one um uh, I'm, i remember trying to think of something clever because i said well, you know i'm trying to do something different that might might uh uh get some attention for it i remember once again i think it was like the may issue of 2008 maybe where there was a whole spread on chancellorsville and mistakes made by stonewall jackson at chancellorsville okay and and so when i read that article i i was trying to think like okay what's something uh Related to the chance for his vote campaign to write uh, a letter about, and and I came up with this. Uh, not not that I, um, I not that I believed what I was writing about, but I thought about the guys who shot Stonewall. Yeah, uh, the Eighteenth North Carolina uh, Infantry members of that regiment, and I. What I wanted to do was put something together about what happened to those guys, and you know, because that must have been really. If you woke up the next morning and found out that you were the guys responsible for, for, I can't imagine what I would feel like. So I remember Mm -hmm. like, yeah, I'm going to put a little fact thing together about that. And I titled it was the 18th North Carolina cursed. (laughs) And I put these little facts together about what happened to them. And they really, they got brutally uh, chewed up uh, the day after of the incident. And um, I think they lost about a hundred men the next day. And of course, the Gettysburg—they were bloody. at Gettysburg bloody. That the Wilderness, and and twice uh, uh, their flags were captured in battle. And but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, they suffered like anybody in the Army of Northern Virginia. But like, uh, but I was so happy again that 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 letter got published in the September two thousand eight issue of America's Civil War. Oh, cool! I was like, yeah. I was like, I did it again. Yeah. That's <laughs> fantastic. But, but here's, here's a humorous thing about this. And I discovered this about two years ago. I had, I had no idea. So anyway, um, uh, since I started my podcast and, and trying to write and, and do stuff, occasionally I'll, I'll search my name on the internet and, and see what comes up. Right? right. And anyway, I type in my name, like, like Stephen Lunsford Civil War. And one of the first things that came up and I don't know if I should name him by name or not, but I, it was a blog for a big Civil War historian. And um, I'll say he's a big North Carolina historian. <laughs> and um, I had no idea about this till like two years ago. And so he had seen my letter to the editor in America's Civil War, and he wrote um, a scathing review of my letter on his blog. <laughs> oh, who, who is it? and uh it was actually let's see i have the i have the paper from me here michael c hardy
1: <laughs> michael hardy okay
0: michael hardy he's written a lot of north carolina books yes uh-huh. but uh, oh no it's it's just humor it's like i had no idea and he wrote oh. this in 2008 and uh no he makes valid points but he was like he was pretty much saying um uh, in the current issue of america's civil war i read the letter by stephen lunsford about was the 18th north carolina cursed <laughs> and uh and he kind of like uh Picks a few of the facts there, and he goes. Doesn't does the does 18th North Carolina deserve this bad reputation, which what that's been labeled upon it? Uh, it? It was it tickled me, and well, I can't yeah. believe I can't believe that a, a big historian is is blogging about a letter. <laughs> that's
1: pretty cool, and, you know. And I mean, you know, you know, history is consensus and conflict. That's what it is, right? Oh yeah. Somebody writes a book and then other people weigh in and say, I agree. Or some people weigh in and say, I don't agree.
0: That's right.
1: (laughs) And, you know, if you keep pushing and fighting and prodding, you try to get, you know, closer to the truth, which, you know, maybe there is no absolute truth in some of this stuff. You know what I mean? There's some opinion involved as well. So I think, you know, if you write something like that, and it instigates or inspires someone to like, you know, supposedly correct the record or present other facts hey go ahead and do yeah. it and let other people make their decision right oh yeah you know i mean um that's that's you know that's doing what you did is doing a good job as a historian you provoked more discussion you know
0: <laughs> well thank you thank you for that and uh no that problem. that tickled me and uh, i thought yeah, I was just I was just impressed that somebody had written <laughs> that was that was something. So I and I again I I thank you for giving me the opportunity to to get my voice out there in those issues because uh, hey, that me, that that encouraged the teenage. Uh, and Stephen. look
1: at us now, Stephen. You got this podcast. I'm a Civil War times guy doing videos and stuff. Come on, you know we we've done we're doing okay, right?
0: Uh, I mean, let me let me tell you something too. I was just thinking about this this morning. Is um, these events, these two events I've done this year have really been an encouraging Gettysburg and, well, into and too. I, I mean, I, in a world and, or in a day yeah. where you feel like the history is dying or nobody cares yeah. about history anymore. You go out here though, and there's still droves of people coming to yeah. see you still, um, I mean, you have guys like Gary Adelman going out there and filming stuff, and there's stuff on there's podcasts out there, there's YouTube videos out there, there's. I, I just feel like the hype is is there again, and it's still it's still alive and well.
1: So people, yeah. there's still an interest in the civil war. I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I mean, if you don't mind, if I do a bit of a monologue here, you know. About, oh sure, about some stuff, and I I not trying to be smug, but you brought this up and I'll say this. It's a challenging time to be interested in the civil war. Yeah. Because there are extremes on both sides, both sides that will get upset because they don't really understand the subject. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, but there's still interest out there, a tremendous amount of interest. I just did a silly um, – I don't even know what you call it. It's this little minute-long thing called What's on My Desk on our Facebook page. And I held up a original – one of those brass candle holders that looks like a donut that unscrews, and you can put it together, and it has two candlesticks in it. Oh, wow. And um, it has like 6,000 views, going on seven. You know, so people are interested in it, Yeah. but we have to, you have to be a little bit more, I don't want to say careful. You have to be smarter about how you present civil war history now. You know what I mean? And you have to aware, be aware that things have changed. Right. Yeah. And, you know, it, I mentioned it to you once in a brief, you know, conversation, I asked a question of one of the participants about the Fort Texas and its relationship to enslavement. Mm -hmm. and uh the the young man had answered answered the question as a friend of mine and unfortunately he got some of his facts wrong and we both regret that but it doesn't change the fact that slavery in the county where the fourth texas guys came from yeah 600 percent between 1850 and 1860 Mm -hmm. and i got you know a lot of people really mad at me why would you ask that question that's a dumb place to ask the question at living history and it's like look man yeah That's a totally legitimate question and reenactors should be prepared to answer those questions now. Yeah. Because whether you have three guys around a campfire or 300. When you put your funny clothes on and you walk out in the public, you're like a walking museum. Yeah. And people are going to come up to you and they're going to ask those questions to you because I've heard them ask those questions. When I'm not involved in conversation, I've heard people ask those questions. I've heard them ask me union soldiers. What were what were Union soldiers' relationships like with black with blacks? Yeah, it's not just you know it's tricky, right? It's tough. Uh, oh yeah. So reenacting units better get you know when they have an event, you better have at least a couple people prepared to answer those questions, if not everybody, because if I don't ask it, someone else is. Yeah, and it is certainly an appropriate question to ask in this day and age. And just ask ask it factually and answer it factually. Yeah. You know, The way I talk to people about it is I'm not out here to celebrate Confederates, but I'm not out here to vilify them either. They're products of their age. Yes. We need to understand that and just be factual about it, you know? And so I think guys like you are really important because you bring that element to living history because, you know, some of these people in the general public They may never go to a museum. No. Yeah. But they're (laughs) going to be on a battlefield and they see that you guys doing stuff and they're like, what's that? That looks cool. And they go over there and what the, what have they seen about the civil war, you know, in popular media? Yeah. That's being ripped down Confederate uh, flag controversy and discussions of the Confederacy and slavery. Yeah. And so they're going to ask these questions, you know, And reenacting is a critically invaluable teaching tool. And so, you know, I mean, that's why organizations like the Liberty Rifles that can, you know, answer and deal with stuff like that objectively are very important. You know, we can't, I'm not going to ask your opinion on this, Stephen, but the idea that the average Confederate soldier didn't care about slavery is that's well been disproven. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not true. They may not necessarily put that as a number one reason, but every time a confederate soldier pulls a trigger, they're doing so in defense of a uh, separatist, you know, country hopefully that's fighting to save that institution. And that's just a fact, but it doesn't mean union soldiers go off on a crusade to free the slaves either. That's not accurate either. You know, a lot yeah. of union troops didn't give a flip about black people. They were yeah. to save yeah. the union, and you know, so it's complex on both sides, you know. So, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, like I said, a little bit of a monologue there, and I just wanted to, and I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to kind of just bring that up and discuss it.
0: Oh no, you're fine, thank you. Because uh, these these are important issues to discuss, especially again, as you say, and this day and age now um uh you know where it's a lot different than it was in the centennial years right. or or the 90s of reenacting like a, a lot a lot has changed <laughs> and um well um you know uh if, if you will uh, this might segue in into okay. something um uh, i'd like to ask you on the same note of things in this ever-changing uh, world especially you know you're in the magazine field you know you know, things are changing, whether, uh, you know, culture changing or, or things online are changing, you know, their new new tech is changing. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, uh, how you approach that? And especially in a world where where people might be like, oh, magazines are over, you know, who, who cares about newspapers anymore right. or um, how do you respond? And I know, you know, here you are. You're in the field. That's how I meet you. You're you're live streaming and and uh, updating um, social media videos mm-hmm. at, at the event, and you couldn't do that 30 years ago. Um, no. So, if you could touch a little bit about you know how uh, your work is uh, affecting, um,
1: well, I think you know I love print, and I, I I we still have you know we've actually had an uptick in subscriptions over this summer. Wow, um, okay. you know, and so um, print I think is still viable. Now, the problems facing print go deeper than readership because, you know, ink is a petroleum-based product. Ink costs more than it used to. Yes. Paper costs more than it used to. Shipping costs more than it used to. And, you know, you ship magazines to a newsstand and the ones that are not sold have to be destroyed in an environmentally sensitive manner and the publisher has to pay for that wow so there's a lot of stuff working against print right now yeah um but print is still the foundation and cornerstone of our business and i'm hopeful you know there's going to be print readers that will consume a print product for, you know, at least as long as I'm in the business, but we do need to move into other platforms. And it's like, it has to be a broader experience. You know, we have to have social media. We have to have digital content on our website. We have to offer, uh, you know, digital editions of the magazine uh, for people to consume, consume on their tablets or their, their phones, you know, So you're constantly trying to adapt and, you know, meet these new environments. And it's not just magazines like ours. It's any magazine. Niche magazines, what I do is, the industry term is a niche magazine, which means the specialist niche that is interested in a topic. Yeah. And niche magazines are... um, they're, they do better than, like, most news magazines are all digital or out of business, like Time, Newsweek. Yeah, yeah. Because the internet is just blown apart, the news industry. But there's still, in a niche community, people that uh, like history or, you know, things like bird watching, right? You know, mm-hmm. they want to print products still. Hiking is another group that wants a magazine. You know, they want to print products, you know, people, outdoors people. So these niche areas, you know, have done better and weathered these rough seas better than some other um, media formula- formulas, you know. But we have to move into these other platforms as well. Yeah. So that's why you know I started a long time ago on Facebook, and we're just building it, you know. Um, and we're going to move into other platforms too. I think TikTok is probably going to happen for us, and. Um, you know, other things like that. So, you know, you have to kind of, you know, if you don't, you know, when the, yeah. when, the uh, when the motor car came along, you know, <laughs> a lot of carriage makers went out of business or they uh, figured out how to make cars or make cars and, um, you know, um, carriages both or, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And some of those carriage makers survived, you know, um. So um. Yeah, I mean, it's challenging, but you know, you got to try to stay ahead ahead of it as much as you can, and it it, it leads to some. Yeah, you know, it's it's not. I I I wish that we could go back to 1982 in a way. You know, when there's no internet, and you know, we you know, you don't have to worry about these other avenues. But that's not going to happen. Just like well, you were mentioned in the nineties when I went out and reenacted it in the nineties, it was a very different climate for reenacting, you know, okay. and, and we didn't have to worry about certain things like you do now. So yeah, you just have to try to, to move and progress with the field as best you can.
0: And, you know, um, I, I think, um, historians still have a love, a huge love for print. I know for me, like I just, I collect books uh, nothing beats to me flipping the pages, no. especially of old original books too. Oh, man. And,
1: it's so bad.
0: Uh, like the ORs. I've been going through a lot of the ORs and especially the Gettysburg volumes. And I have digital versions and I have the physical copies. And sometimes I find myself r- scrolling through the digital one, and then I get tired of it. I said, "No, I, I just." I'm going to go get the hard volume and I'm just going to flip through this right here. And I just prefer that. <laughs> yeah. So much I
1: better hate searching EORs online. I hate it. Yeah. I hate it. I don't have the complete set here, but I have some volumes from the major campaigns and I will go and get a, oh, because they're challenging to su- search through, you know, online. It's yeah. easier to get a book and flip through it and find what you want and go to the index. It's easier. Yes. And Yeah. That's why one thing I absolutely detest online is EORs. And, you know, man, we could we could talk. We could have another segment about, like, little stories in EORs that people overlook, too, you know?
0: Well, um, if I could tell you something funny. Um, absolutely. I told, my brother, I told my brother about this, and uh, it's kind of hilarious. But, like, I, I pretty much read the Gettysburg volumes, almost cover to cover uh, the three-volume set. And it is ridiculous. Um, I mean, it's humorous the the conversation back and forth between um hooker and halleck mead and halleck oh yeah i know <laughs> now, like, I, I, I don't know if anybody has done this but like you could make like a phony twitter account debate off of like their arguments with each other like it, it's it, like it's so realistic though like you could just relate to everything they're saying and it's and they're like the way they're talking about issues they're like hey what's the hold up why isn't the army moving? Well, we're tired, or like they're going back and forth, at it. and it's just so like I couldn't help but like laugh through like several pages worth of these like Halleck pushing me or Halleck pushing Hooker, right? Hooker's aspirated responses, and and it's amazing. I mean, like I kind of forget sometimes, you know. We always think, oh, communication was so slow back then, but like if you had good telegraph lines, oh man, communicating within twenty minutes of each other, and oh, yeah. it's amazing. I, I mean, that's
1: amazing. Me. Yeah, it's amazing how quick they could communicate with each other. And, like, you know, also, because we mentioned uh, Brown's book on Meet at Gettysburg, he's like prodding Sickles the whole campaign. Come on, move faster. You know what I mean? (laughs) And then one day Sickles moves fast. He's like, what are you doing? You know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Humorous. I I mean, I love it. And uh, you really just, uh, I, I will say, even the first time I discovered the ORs, Again, it's like I'm flipping to the battle reports, right? Or, or I'm, okay, I want to hear what this brigade commander had to say about the battle. But then it took me like the third go around, kind of looking over it to be like, oh, what does this ordnance officer have to say? Or what does this commissary yeah. this report have to say? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, it's like, how did I skip over this? Right. <laughs> this is like incredible stuff. Or like the guys saying earlier like the guys who are working those reports for that order of fifty thousand shoes or like you, you hear like the the commotion within these reports and uh, it's fascinating stuff it really is uh, i mean really anybody anybody if you haven't read any of the ors like if you have a favorite battle or campaign you know start off by just buying the volumes for your favorite yeah. campaign, you know and it's it's inundated because there's so many volumes out there but it's awesome. They're worth it.
1: <laughs> no, I, I I could not agree with you more. It, they make great reading, you know, and they're and it, it's the most enjoyable thing is to hold them in your hand and read them. Absolutely.
0: Well, you know, um, um, going back, uh, if you will, a little bit back to uh, so both, you know, you worked, you're still working Civil War times, and you worked for America's Civil War. Do you uh, have any like a uh, either favorite moments uh, for both of those or a favorite issue or a personal favorite article that you remember, do you have any highlighted kind of favorite memories for both of those projects?
1: Um, there's a lot cause I've done it for a long time. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I remember in America's civil war, we published an article about Confederate sharpshooter battalions. Oh yeah. Which,
0: um, seemed really fresh to me. And, um, like the shock troops of the confederacy kind of that that topic yeah of.
1: and um i remember that oh it's terrible of me the guy wrote a book and i can't remember his name but that was an article that from from um uh, the american civil war era um and i think um i just there's, there's it sounds terrible, but it it runs together. But we've done some great common soldier articles in in Amer- in Civil War Times, mm-hmm. um, that that I that I like. We broke one down into uh, you know graphs and stuff to take a look at um, some Civil War soldiers. And I've I've really been blessed with some really you know top notch scholarship. And it sounds so corny, but my my next. My, my favorite issue is my my next one, you know, it's like yes, yeah, the one we're we're, we're we're working on has a really cool new look at alcohol use in the armies during the war <laughs> Um, it's going to have an excerpt from this uh, Cowie book about the depredations that, you know, people suffered at Sharpsburg with a map of where the armies camped around the, the village after the battle, you know what I mean and so um, I I kind of feel like, boy, this is going to sound terrible, but it's, it's the analogy I use, you know, like actors, they do movies and they don't ever want to see the movies they're in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of like when an issue's done, that's over. Yeah. It's over. I can barely look at it. Cause I see everything I would wish I'd have done better. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Yeah. And I'm on to the next one to make it as good as I can. And I think that's helped me survive in this business, you know? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I hope that when I leave it, you know, at whatever point, you know, and people look back and the era I was editor, they'd be like, you oh, know, that guy left a bunch of good articles and scholarship in his wake. And my goal has been to get academic research out to a wide popular audience and kind of distill it through the magazine. And I do think I've been successful at that over the last, you know, more than a decade.
0: So, Oh, for for sure. And, uh, and that's a great, that's great way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the best, the best one is the next one coming out and the next issue and um, keep, uh, keep persevering and striving for uh, to keep improving as you go. And yeah, that keeps you going.
1: Absolutely. Yep, for sure.
0: Well, Dana, well, um, I have really um, enjoyed <laughs> this. Uh, um, I know uh, those of you listening, you might be like, man, those guys have been all over the place tonight. But I mean, uh, this is fascinating stuff. <laughs> I, well, mean, I, hope, um,
1: they, I hope they like it. Because, you know, it was kind of like a nice rambling conversation, right? It yeah. is.
0: And that's that's why I, I like doing this. Because, uh, you know, I, I usually tell a lot of the reenactors I've interviewed, it's like, you know, sometimes when we're at these events and things, like everybody's busy, nobody has time to yeah sit down and deep dive for too long or when you like just when you get into a deep conversation the bugle's blaring and you got to go do something you know yeah exactly uh, yeah this is an opportunity for fellow enthusiasts to kind of deep dive together and and talk and i think a lot of people are figuring it out now you know with youtube and and uh uh, podcasting and uh there's a lot of great history podcasts out there now Uh, i know i listen to a ton of them and um it's really fascinating stuff yeah and, absolutely
1: uh, and i i thank you again so much Stephen. it's it it was one of the highlights of my summer where i guess it's fall um well. <laughs> uh, to, to run into you really it made my day like i said on the in the video it was a great day and you made it even greater it's just it's just big big it's been a real treat to meet you again and talk to you again and i i hope you come out east at some point and when you do let me know so if i'm around we can say hi
0: Oh, well, that would be great. Uh, thank you very much. And, uh, and I'm always looking forward to the next Liberty rifles, uh, big events. And so, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll for sure still be traveling in the future. Oh, and,
1: uh, excellent.
0: and I have to say that, uh, it is remarkable to me as looking back now as the, uh, 16 year old who wrote that letter to the editor that, uh, 15 years later i'd be uh talking to that same editor on a podcast <laughs> i crazy. think
1: it's amazing. i think it's awesome and i'm so it's thrilled that you're still involved in this you know the history field needs dudes like you and 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 women is of course as well to succeed yeah. and continue on and it's great to great to talk to you
0: oh yes thank thank you very much for that dana and i really appreciate it and uh as a parting uh thing here um Uh, If you could tell our listeners where can they uh, learn more about Civil War Times, America's Civil War, and your sites?
1: The easiest place to go, um, and I guess we never really explained that my company owns two Civil War magazines, America's Civil War and Civil War Times, as well as, let me see, seven other history magazines. So check us out at historynet.com. That's our website. You can get information about all the titles there. Or go to the Civil War Times Facebook page and you know like it so you can follow along we put a lot of stuff up there and a lot of information or check out america's civil wars facebook page as well where there's some neat stuff
0: yeah awesome awesome yeah please everybody go go check those out and subscribe and it's it's awesome stuff so I, again thank you so much dana um hope you have a good evening and i i really uh, appreciate you taking the time tonight
1: Stephen, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much and have a great upcoming holiday season. If I don't talk to you and I hope to see you somewhere next year out East on the field.
0: Yes. Yes, sir. I can't wait to run into you again. That would be awesome. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> righty, right. We'll take care sir. Thank you very much.
1: All right. Thank you, Stephen. Good night.